Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We'll continue the story now. We talked about leprosy and various other things in the past weeks, and this sort of concludes that part. But, but now in chapter 2, we are going to look at the story of the paralytic who was healed. The paralytic who was healed. So if you have a Bible, you might want to follow along, and we'll take a close look at that. We come to these verses. It's a short section this morning, and going through it section by section rather than reading the whole text at once. But the first thing that we see is that Jesus is back in Capernaum now in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and he comes back there. So it says in Mark 2, verse 1, when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. He had been in Capernaum before. That really wasn't his home. His home was, was Nazareth, but uh, they went after him there because they didn't like what he had to say, wanted to throw him over the cliff. So he moved down the hill to Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, where Peter's home was, and so Peter, of course, and Andrew and James and John had been selected as the first followers, probably lived in Peter's home. This was probably his headquarters. It doesn't say for sure, but he was there, came back a couple of days there. He'd been there teaching earlier, if you remember, in the earlier sections when he was in the synagogue right next door to Peter's house, which you can see the remains of both of those buildings today, that... Um, there was a lot of people that came and they were amazed at his teaching and there was miracles that took place and he preached and so forth and people were beginning to get interested, especially when Peter's mother-in-law was healed. That was among the last things we saw in the previous chapter there. He was there several days and then it said it was heard that, that he was at home. People began to know that he was there. They'd been following him, if you remember before. There were so many people that began to follow after the first few miracles that took place that he had to go out in the wilderness to pray and he had to go out and couldn't even go to the villages necessarily because so many people were, were hoarding around Jesus there. The leper story really cinched it for him and people really came out after that because that was considered to be the incurable kind of disease. But we can see that today because of modern medicine and some as the result of Christians who did the research that much of leprosy can be stopped. Uh, as uh, our brothers said this morning there. So it says uh, he was at home, and it says in verse 2 that many were gathered together there. Many were gathered together. They were coming to kind of see what was going on. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are not mentioned here, but Luke mentions that they were there also, and there were these kind of people from all the villages of Galilee, as well as from Jerusalem and Judea, it says. So people were really coming, and the religious authorities now were showing up at these meetings. They weren't staged meetings, they just kind of happened because people came from all over the place there. And so it says, so that there, were no long, there was no longer room, not even near the door, not even near the door. So it's, it's likely that he was in this house, Perhaps it was Peter's. Most likely, I think that was Peter's home. And it was somewhat of a roomy place, actually. And many people were flocking there because they knew Jesus was there now. 
And uh, you couldn't even get in the room. They were so crammed in. I would say per perhaps a couple hundred people. Uh, I don't know if you've been in a subway on a foreign country like in Ukraine. When you get uh, in the subway, people are so crammed in, you can't move. You can't move until the door opens. And if somebody gets in the back of the train, somebody falls out the front. You know, that's how full they get. That's the kind of situation this was. So he was speaking the word to them, it says in verse 2. And by the way, it doesn't say preaching the word here. Most translations, I think, say speaking the word, which is actually more accurate. It doesn't say keruso, which means to preach, but it says um, elele, which means to, to really speak the word, to speak the word. And doesn't mean it's any less, it's just a slightly different way of saying the same thing. And he was talking to them about, we know, the gospel, because he said very clearly earlier on several times that his main purpose was not to heal, but really to preach the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God, or the word, just different ways of saying it. So the, the miracles were really subservient to the gospel. And that's, that's a thing we should always keep in mind. People can do, or try to, or at least pretend they can, do miraculous things, and, um, but it's the gospel that's number one. It's the gospel that's most important, because it's the gospel that will change lives. So that's the context. All these people jammed in, couldn't even get in the door, and Jesus is in there, and he's speaking the word to them, preaching to them, really. It says in verse 3 and 4 now, we come to the paralytic that comes. And I say the paralytic drops in. <laughs> You'll know why, of course. In verse 3, it says, They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, being unable to get to him because of the crowd. They removed the roof above them, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Kind of gives you... A basic idea. So they came, these four men came, they brought this man who was paralyzed. Some, we don't know exactly what happened, if it was a medical disease or if it was something like a stroke that caused him to be um, paralytic. But he had to be carried. He had to be carried on some kind of a pallet, some kind of a Stokes litter or whatever that he was on that we would probably call sort of like his, his bed too. And Kind of a good thing to just think about here is that, that some people, some people um, can't really get to Christ because they're paralyzed and somebody has to bring them and bless the heart of these guys. Some will never come to Christ unless someone brings them. And we talked about that before Franklin Graham was here to pray about whom you might bring. But some people can't come simply because they are so sick and they're paralyzed and so forth as this particular gentleman was. And when you were sick and you had a disease, you were a little bit like the leper these fellows were talking about that was considered to be unclean. If you were sick, you were in sin and therefore stay away, basically was the idea. Very difficult to sometimes see those kinds of situations. You remember... A few weeks back, my son in Ukraine was going up the stairs in this old, decrepit, Soviet-era apartment building where they live and where we visit them often. And uh, as he went up the stairs, there was, a, there was an old man there standing with a hatchet. And so uh, Caleb says, well, what are you doing? And he says, well, I needed a hatchet. He was trying to get a hatchet. And he says, uh, 
And he said, why? Well, I can't get into my door. My door is locked and I left the key inside the apartment. So Caleb went up with him. They tried to get the door unlocked. Caleb came back, got some tools and so forth. Couldn't get it unlocked. So they went back and got an axe and opened the door. Kind of the way they do things there sometimes. But um, opened the door. But he, to his surprise when he came in, if you remember, he found that the man had a wife in there and she was in a bed, couldn't get out of the bed, but had rolled out and fell on the floor, but had not been out of the bed in perhaps several months, not even to use the bathroom. Let me not say any more about that. You can guess the rest. It was filthy. It was dirty. Caleb had to pick up this elderly lady and put her back in the bed. We talked with the man a little bit, got some more details about it. It was a very sketchy situation. It was her husband. They had a son that wouldn't, a couple of kids that wouldn't take care of them, etc. The long and the short of it is Caleb Held felt the burden because he could see this lady was not long for this earth, and he went back with the gospel for her. And he had the opportunity to share the gospel with her seven several times, and she heard and was interested. And then just a couple of days ago when he went to leave to go to do his ministry, as he went down the stairs and out the front door, which looks more like a vault door on these buildings, it's ugly, as he opened it up, there was her casket sitting on the dirt right beside the door and it was open and she was in it. That's the way they do funerals over there. If you die and you live in apartments, they do it right outside the door and there was a priest and they were doing through the rituals and people were there. So Caleb stayed and listened. But she had a chance to hear the gospel and we pray and hope that it penetrated her heart as it seemed like it did. But some people won't hear unless we go to them or we take them to where the gospel is, to Christ. And really, he took her to Christ when he shared the gospel with her there. Well, this paralytic here in verse 4, a little bit more about him, says uh, he, was unable to get, um, he was unable to get to Christ, to him, because of the crowd they were unable to, that is the four men. So they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down a pallet on which the paralytic was lying. I thought it would be good to see a little bit of a picture of what the huts look like. This is an artist rendering because uh, it, it's from based you know, on, the, on what they found over this, pretty much like it is in per Capernaum, you're to the north side of the Sea of Galilee, so as you look out, you're looking south towards Jerusalem in the distance, about 75 miles. And, and these houses have little steps up the side, they're stone walls, and then kind of a roof made out of uh, um, a combination of things. They, what they would do is once the walls were made, then they laid logs across the, the stone walls. You can kind of see them sticking out on the edges there, especially in the foreground there. And then they would... Uh, Logs are paced two, paced, uh, spaced two or three feet apart, and then they would put some smaller sticks across that. Sometimes it would be interlaced with other sticks and kind of a, a thatch kind of arrangement. Sometimes maybe a heavy kind of grass or reed would be used for that. And that would be all laid down on top of the logs, so you have somewhat of a barrier. And then they would put mud on top of that. they mix up the mud, they would... They would smear it on, totally cover it, and then sometimes they would use something to roll it, to roll over it to sort of make it compact and let it dry in the sun. In some cases, they would plant grass on there and grass would grow, or in other cases, they might even put tiles down. 
And Capernaum was a little more wealthy place, and if you had tiles on your roof, you were considered to be in a better financial situation, <laughs> you can see. It looks like they were drying some fish down there in the lower right. You kind of picture there was a cat there. Cat's leaving the fish alone, it looks like, in the picture. And, um, but he's guarding it. <laughs> But they would use the roofs for other things. They would drive fish up there. They would uh, go up there to relax. There was a stairway up the side. And the houses were so close together, as you can kind of see here, that it's uh, like some of these housing developments. You can almost jump from one roof to the other, you know. And, uh, and that's how they would use the staircase for maybe several houses in some cases here. So these men, when they came, they found this house was just packed. They couldn't get in the door down below on the main level. They couldn't get in the door. And uh, I can imagine that they wanted to get in and so forth, but they tried and couldn't get in. So they thought, well, the only thing we can do is go up on the roof and we'll cut a hole in the roof, you know. So thank the Lord for persistence that these guys had. That's one thing we can draw from it, is they were persistent men. Four guys, we don't know their names. We don't even know the fellow's name that was um, the paralytic. In fact, they never say anything in this whole account. We never have a word recorded that they said. I'm sure they must have said something. But they go in and they drop this man in his, on his bed down. He just basically dropped in in front of Jesus all of a sudden while he was preaching. But persistence is something I think that we should know. It's, it's not an easy task to do something like that, and I'm sure they could have gotten to the front door where all the people were and sort of turned around, look, it's, we're not going to make it here, and uh, let's just go home. Maybe later he'll be free and the people will be gone and we can come back. No, that wasn't them. They persisted. They didn't give up. And so they, they kept on going, they let, what are we going to do? Well, there's a stairway. We'll go up the stairs. Okay, so they carried the guy up the stairs. Probably not an easy thing to do with the angle of the stairs. And they got up there and they started to look at the ceiling, the wall, the, the roof, I mean. And uh, probably uh, really had to think twice about that. If we cut a hole in that roof, somebody's not going to be happy, you know. And the homeowner hopefully had good insurance. Uh, but at any rate, uh, they just they didn't ask any questions. They just kept on going. They were persistent. And they started pulling the mud away, the tiles away, and so forth. And uh, opened it up, cut away the sticks, and then got the, uh, got the ropes on this, this, guy's, uh, this guy's pallet and, and, and dropped him down through it. Um, but, you know, it reminds me that when we witness and attempt to bring people to Christ, it's really the Lord ultimately that does it. But we should expect some opposition, right? I'm sure you guys have had lots of opposition. You spoke about that in people's belief in the witch doctor that didn't believe it was real. There's opposition to the gospel. But don't give up because God is all-powerful in the middle of it. So this fella here is, is let down on the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. They let him down. That was a little bit dangerous. I think even the, uh, even the paralytic could have persisted and said, don't take me there and for sure don't drop me down, you know, through this open hole in the building. I mean, you could drop me and then it would really be bad. Maybe he couldn't even speak. We don't know. But he really is like the leper these brothers talked about, a symbol 
of how we are before we come to Christ. We are helpless. We are like the paralytic. We are all lost, lost in our own sin. And really, that's what this story is about. It's not about Jesus' healing power at all. It's about the, the biggest problem that we have. The biggest problem we have is our sin. The biggest problem we have is being away from God. The biggest problem that we have before coming to Christ is that we are bound for a horrible hell for all eternity. We are desperately sick and desperately in need, although may not realize it. That's what this story is about. That's what it's about. Christ had shown his superiority with his miracles over healing, how he could preach. They were amazed at it. Over the leper, he showed his superiority over that. Over demons, because he spoke to the demons and they came out and the demons were, ter were terrified. But this story, this story alone, speaks about man's greatest need for forgiveness and that Christ alone is the only one who can grant it. He is the way and the truth and the life. And all of us are helpless sinners, myself included, outside of Christ. Well, now we come to verse 5, and we see what takes place. So the man is down in front of Jesus. A little bit of dust is kind of trickling down, you know, from the ceiling there, some sticks and things. And he's, he's laying on the floor in front of Jesus. All the people are all around. They're looking. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And um, Jesus said in verse 5, he says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Stop there just for a moment. Talk, this is going to be about the forgiveness part here. He saw their faith. Remember, they didn't say anything. They didn't pray. He saw their faith. There is plural in the original language. And it's referring to the faith of all of them, all five, I believe, the paralytic as well as the four men who were there. And Jesus knew that these guys had faith. He could see it because of their actions. Their actions. Now, don't miss that point. They were doing something, and Mark is the gospel of doing something, isn't it? It's the immediacy gospel. That's why we call it the newspaper version, because it moves so quickly. He saw their faith in their actions and what they were doing. They faced opposition at the door and they went up the stairs and they dug a hole in the ceiling, a roof, and they let the man down and so forth. And by the way, this is the first time the word faith appears in the gospel according to Mark. So uh, real faith, of course, comes from the heart. It's from the heart. But it bubbles up into action also. I think real faith is kind of like the life jacket that you throw in the water and if it goes down under with somebody in it, it will bring them up to the top. Bring them up to the top. It comes to the place where it can be seen. It's like the Apostle Paul when he was on the shipwreck off of Malta. He was the one who had faith with all the people who were struggling in the water when they had to jump overboard to get to shore, but his faith was the one that came to the top and led them there. So, this sick man's faith was also present, as well as the four guys, 
Now, I, this wasn't probably the first time these guys had seen Jesus. I, I, I believe that from what we've seen in the first chapter because his ministry really had spread around already and many, many people were coming. I think they already knew about it very clearly and they probably heard the gospel to some degree. We don't know how much, but evidently enough to get the conclusion that we're coming to here in a minute. So uh, the sick man evidently consents to being dropped down, dropping in, and so forth. And their faith was obvious as Jesus looked. He could see into their hearts, obviously, but I think he could also see very practically that they had faith by just taking them up there and drop them, dropping them down. Let me ask you a question. What about your faith? Does it exhibit itself on the outside? Or is it only on the inside? Does it make a difference when people see it, they could say, well, that person, you know, I think maybe they're Christian. They've got faith. If it doesn't, then you need to examine yourself very carefully in light of the scriptures and see what the problem is. Fear? Well, God can overcome fear. Yes, fear. We all face that. Ignorance, you can do something about that. Read this thing right here. Talk to somebody who knows about spiritual things and so forth. But Christ also saw their heart. He saw their heart, I believe. And that was obvious here. First Samuel chapter 16, it says, The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, or God, looks on the heart. Jesus could see both, but it was evident outwardly as, as well. So it says now in verse 5, it says after seeing their faith, it says, He said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus speaks to him. Now I want you to notice, he says son, he calls him son. The, the word in the language is not the standard word for a son. It is a word for more of a small child. It can refer to a small child as well. So it really is kind of a tender term here. Jesus' love, I think here, is kind of expressed in the word son in the language there, which is kind of hard to see in the English language. The man's Sins are forgiven, but we don't know what his sins are because they they're not told to us. Here. Was he a sinner? Of course he was. Everybody's a sinner. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did he sin in a way that caused his sickness? I don't know. It doesn't say. Sometimes sin does cause sickness. Sometimes it can be, it can be a disease. Sometimes it can be other things. Uh, I, I just think of when I was in high school, uh, one of my friends who was a year or two ahead of me in high school, shortly after um, I think I graduated, he was driving his car. It was an old Model A that was souped up. And I didn't live in the Model A area, but I had one. But, uh, but this one was really souped up. <laughs> and he was driving along the, the breakwater on O'Sullivan Dam over in eastern Washington. And there's a place where there's a spillway that goes down, and then you go flat, and then you come up, and that's there in case the thing gets too full to keep it from flooding over into the, into the farmland. And he went down into that thing, and he really hit the gas and went really fast. And when he came up, he went airborne and sideways and hit a rock. And ever since then, he's been cared for in a home because he can't think right can't 
do the things normal people do. Sometimes sin will leave a long-term impression. Has he come to Christ? I don't know. But just making the point that sin sometimes has a result, even though we may be forgiven. But we don't know about this man here. And uh, we do know that Christ had the authority to forgive sin. All authority is given to me in heaven and earth, it says in the scripture, to forgive sin. Clearly this man was ready to be healed and Jesus saw his faith and said, your sins are forgiven. He tenderly calls him a son here. Perhaps Jesus' teaching had brought a sense of repentance because I believe it's very clear that a person cannot be saved unless they come to recognize their sin and repentance is there in some way and conviction had affected him and so Jesus saw his faith outwardly as well as inwardly because he can see the heart and he granted forgiveness for all eternity, for all eternity here. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all of our diseases, and so on. So what about you? Have, have, you, <laughs> have you had that experience where you've come to repentance and faith and, and turned to Christ and, and then sought him and he promises to touch your life and, and to change your heart and to really forgive all your sins like Jesus did here. Sin Son, your sins are forgiven. It's an unseen kind of faith as well as a seen kind of faith. Well, it says in verse 6, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts in this matter here. And why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sin but God alone? they say there. Someone said that there's never a congregation that does not have a critic or two. And this congregation had a bunch of them there. It says the scribes plural there. And Luke's account of the same story, Matthew and Luke have the same account, uh, but really Mark's is probably slightly the longest of, of them. But Luke says that there were also Pharisees there and um, other religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and so forth, and religious leaders from Jerusalem and uh, all of Galilee and Judea mentions that. There were lots of people there. Like we said, it was packed out there. And Jesus could look at them and he could see and reason in his heart what was going on. He could see in his heart. Every village, they were there. Lots of critics there. <clears throat> And these critics had an attitude of superiority. It wasn't just that they knew the truth. They knew a lot of other stuff that didn't have the truth in it that was sort of twisted um, theology from the Old Testament. So it was really not on track. And so they, they just were out there to criticize Jesus. That's why they came. They came to criticize Jesus because they didn't like what he had to say. And this was... This was Important piece of, we might say, evidence, they would say, they would think. That he's saying he can forgive sin. Nobody can forgive sin, but God alone was basically the idea there. 
They had an attitude of superiority. I think as Christians, we have to be careful about that too. I think it's just something we should take home with us just a little bit. Be careful about an attitude of superiority and criticizing people because we don't know this full story most of the time. And uh, it's good to know the full story, and sometimes the full story makes it quite a bit different story. Someone uh, said these four men saw the opportunity in the difficulty while the scribes and Pharisees saw the difficulty in the opportunity. Did you get that? That's interesting, isn't it? The four men that carried the man up to the ceiling, to the, uh, to the roof, dropped him in. They saw the opportunity and the difficulty, but the scribes and the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw the difficulty and the opportunity. The four men are the, really the essence of what faith is about, and the latter scribes and Pharisees are the es essence of what a critic is about there. By the way, just uh, attendant matter briefly on this is Jesus alone can forgive sin. Some of you have perhaps Roman Catholic background and know about the confessionals and going into the confessional to confess sins to a priest who absolves you of your sin perhaps uh, something to be said about that. Um, it really is said in Roman theology that when the priest listens to the confession, he tries to discern whether there's real repentance, and if he thinks there's real repentance, then he tells you basically that you're forgiven based on your repentance. So it's, it's a, little more, a little different than what you might think in some sense. But there's lots of other problems associated with that as well as the fact that it is a sacrament and so forth and so on here. And John Calvin denied all ideas of sacramentality in this kind of thing. And both uh, Luther and Calvin came out of that kind of context of the Catholic Church and were against those things. Luther actually kept the confessional for a while because he thought it was good for people to just go and confess. That's kind of how he would say it, you know. But after a while, he didn't think it was um, so helpful and pulled away from it. And he said, a pope or a bishop does nothing more than the lowliest priest. Indeed, where there is no priest, each individual Christian, even a woman or a child, does as much. So uh, he knew that anyone could, uh, could talk to a person and give them the gospel. And the gospel is what brings them to the place of, of uh, confession and forgiveness through Christ alone there. So only God can forgive sin is basically the, the, the message here. Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? So only the Lord can really forgive sin. You can turn people to the gospel if they come to repentance, ask for forgiveness from Christ with a repentant heart, they can be forgiven. And uh, we can't forgive them. The priest can't forgive them. The pastor can't forgive them. Uh, only Christ can. But in their theology, they thought this was really bad. The religious leaders did because Jesus had forgiven. That was bad news. Bad news. So, <clears throat> it says in verse 8, we have another one of those words that says immediately here. Immediately. Jesus, aware of their spirit, because he uses that word constantly, Mark does, aware of their spirit, 
that they were reasoning that within themselves. He knew what was going on in their hearts. He saw into their hearts because God knows the heart. Chrysostom, an ancient um, uh, theologian, said, Behold the evidences of the divinity of Christ. Observe that he knows the very secrets of your heart. Good thing to keep in mind. He knows our hearts. He knew their hearts. And he saw that. And um, the scribes uh, were feeling something like this at this point. The scribes were thinking something like, well, it's, it's easy for him to claim you can be forgiven. Because you can't really verify that very easily. But he'd have to do something more miraculous if that were the case. It's probably kind of the idea in the background, although they didn't actually say that. So Jesus said to them in verse 8 also, in verse 8 he said, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Well, obviously that would be pretty easy. Nobody could really check that out or verify it. Or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. In other words, to heal him. Well, obviously that would be hard to verify. You have to see it happen right then and there. So Jesus kind of does a, I think you would call it a back maneuver, backflip maneuver here where he confronts them with their own thinking there. He presents a question that will trap them. And of course they would think it was the former one, the, say they were for, that they were forgiven, that would be the easier one. And, <clears throat> and sin is not always a result of something you did wrong. I mean, uh, the problems you have paralyzed, not always the result of that. The blind man in John chapter 9, I think it is, um, they ask, is it your parents that are the result of this sin or your own self and so forth? And of course, it, it wasn't him there. So they wondered what Jesus would do. What would he do when he said this? Which is easier? To say you're forgiven or to pick up your pallet and walk? So now we come to verse 10. It's the last section here. Jesus heals the paralytic. So, verse 10 says, but so, and he's speaking to these religious leaders, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. That's the real heart. That's the real key verse in this whole text. That's what this whole thing is about, that we might know that Christ alone has authority to forgive sin, Son of Man. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. Wow. Jesus made it absolutely clear what needed to happen. There, he is the Son of Man, mentions that there. Son of Man was a picture from Daniel chapter 7 of the king of glory, he referred to it. But he said these three things. He said, get up and pick up your pallet and go home. Not easy to get up if you've probably been laying down for perhaps years or maybe even all of his life. Certainly not easy to pick up his pallet if he could get up on his own. Probably was kind of heavy, not something easy to carry around. And thirdly, to go home, that would be even harder with his pallet to walk away there. Very, very, very di difficult there. There was tension in the room. It said that probably a lot of tension there. 
People were wondering what's going on. The crowd was wondering. They were watching. They were peering over at people's heads to see down where Jesus was and the man that was on the floor. People wrapped around them. The guys up on the ceiling were still there with their ropes dangling down. They were looking down and, and wondering as well. The scribes and the Pharisees, the ones who had come from Jerusalem and Judea, they were wondering because they were kind of, uh, they were kind of on the spot just a little bit here. And the homeowner was wondering who's going to pay for my roof, you know, and that kind of thing maybe and so forth. But the paralytic may have been wondering too, but he seems to have had the faith there. And of course, we know what happens there. Verse 12, he got up and immediately, there's that word again, Mark uses so many times, euthus, immediately he picked up the pallet under his arm, and he went out of the side in the sight of everyone. So there was evidence, there were eyewitnesses in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed. There's that word amazed again that they that they were when they heard his preaching and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. It's not so much the healing, it really was that Jesus could forgive sins there. Amazement and glorifying God. What the people said, being amazed, probably was still short of repentance and salvation here. But more of them had heard the message as time went on, and certainly the man, and certainly the, the man, the paralytic, had to have heard that message and understood what Jesus was saying, and I believe he was saved there. Likely the first person, really, that we see clearly healed here in this Galilean tour that Jesus had. And um, those who crowded the doorway started to move away so that he could walk out the door and step aside, looking at him, totally amazed. It's likely that a lot of these people knew this paralytic for a long time because he had been there for perhaps most of his life, and a lot of people likely knew him there. And they were really astounded, really astounded. May we see from this story our need of forgiveness first and foremost. To know that we are just as lost as the, uh, the lepers these fellows talked about and the paralytic outside of Christ. We're paralyzed spiritually as well as physically as these guys were. But it's only through Christ that we can find salvation. And he alone, to their amazement, and to the scribes and the Pharisees' disdain, could forgive sin. May we also see Christ's willingness to bring complete healing and salvation, which is really, salvation is the greatest healing. We're all going to die, and these miracles occurred for a number of years and then we don't see everybody being healed later. But we still see the offer of the gospel even today. His willingness to save those who have a simple faith. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I imagine this man went home, told the story to anybody that hadn't heard it yet, and it must have been a great moment of celebration in that household that day. Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved through the wrath of God, of the wrath of God through him. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Chris and I will be down here after the service in front. If you have questions on these very important issues, uh, feel free to come to us. We'd like to speak with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness. Uh, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for the story of this paralytic that just dropped in and was healed, but much more importantly, his sins were forgiven. And may we recognize our own need of healing and uh, our need of salvation and our need to be like the four men that took this gentleman, to take him to where the gospel was, to take him to Christ. May we have that kind of desire in our hearts as well, we pray, Lord. Bless the hearts of everybody here today, Lord. We pray that you would really speak to them, speak to our hearts wherever need be, and bring glory to yourself, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.